Hi, folks. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to tell you about Design Museum Everywhere's annual meeting. Every year, we host an annual meeting. It's a public board meeting for the Design Museum community to come together for a conversation, looking back on the year and learning what's in store in the year ahead. You'll hear from staff and board members about programming and operations. I'll even talk to you about our finances. We're really opening up. This podcast is just one of Design Museum Everywhere's amazing programs. We have magazine, books, incredible exhibitions, and educational resources, and you'll hear about them all. We're all about bringing the transformative power of design to you. So if you like our show, then you can get to know more about what we do and how to become involved. It's on January 26th from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. For more details, check out our site at designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on events. Hello, and welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. And welcome to the live podcast recording during our Workplace Innovation Summit. This is the second live episode from the summit. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of Design Museum Everywhere. Each week on our show, we tackle a different element of design and explore how it impacts our everyday lives. We always have the help of a new guest co-host who is an expert in their field, and we interview a guest about their work in design because design is everywhere, and so are we. This week, Design Museum Everywhere is hosting our Workplace Innovation Summit. It's our way to connect, reflect, and reform on ideas around all things workplace design. And wow, there's just so much to talk about. This year we're virtual, so we have this great chance to record the episode live in front of you all on Zoom. This episode is about material choices in workplaces for wellness and sustainability. The workplace certainly changed over time, and we're wondering what does the future of the workplace look like as we design buildings that are better for employees, better for people, and better for the environment. Joining me today are two experts in design materials. We have Source CEO, Nicole Schmidt, and Senior Interior Designer at Sarah Architects, Carissa Milan. To start a discussion off, Nicole is joining me as our guest co-host. As CEO of Source, Nicole heads a revolution in materials selection. Nicole and her team believe in material transparency and are dedicated to making commercial spaces that lead to positive human influence. She originally launched Source in 2018 while teaching herself to code in her basement. Nicole's contribution and expertise in design makes the ease of sourcing healthy and sustainable products effortless. Nicole, thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a blast. <laughs> I was wondering, can we start with your experience as an interior designer and then jumped into this like new business context? So how did your design experience inform your role as a founder, as a CEO of Source? Yeah, so... I started out my career, I've spent my whole career in commercial construction, and I started out at a firm here in Portland, and I did a lot of hospitality design, so lots of spaces all around the nation, and it was about halfway through my career that I switched over to being a manufacturer's rep. I think what it was, so, you know, I, I worked at that design firm, I had my own design studio, I worked for, you know, a tile manufacturer, a distributor, and a stone manufacturer, and I think it was really having all those different lenses and all those sort of different and unique experiences that really led me to starting Source. And to the specific part of your question, sort of how does my design background impact the business? Um, I actually did a really fun um, uh, design museum mornings here in Portland. Uh, mm. Gosh, I want to say sometime last year, but um, you know, I really talked about how design thinking. Um, and really that iterative process of design has like been the foundation for starting a startup because 
there's so many times, you know, just like in the built environment where you don't get to hit undo, right? Like, right. Whatever you decide and put in those specifications and put in those drawings, like somebody's going to purchase and install. And it's so true in business too, right? Like the decisions we make have impact. And um, having that iterative approach and, you know, that planning process and that I think was really um, strong and, and fundamental in how we run source now and um, and especially in understanding our clients. Oh, I bet. I bet. Tell me a little bit more about learning to code in your basement, because that also strikes me like designers. I feel like just like creative problem solving, like need a website. I'm going to learn to code. How'd you do that? <laughs> it's exactly right. So I would say that I, I taught myself just enough code to like get into <laughs> trouble. Yes. So, you know, I again, right. It's design is problem solving problem needs solution. So um, I really scoured and like started understanding how different apps and programs integrate together, um, taught myself, you know, how I could make, you know, solve the problems that were that I saw at that time were affecting our customers. And so I would just, you know, go down for a couple hours after I put the kids to bed. And um, I had think, um, I want to say my daughter was like three or six months old at the time. But, you know, I mean, you're a new parent. You're not sleeping anyways. Why not? Yeah, learn I mean, to code? you're awake. Yeah, you're awake. <laughs> Why not learn to code? <laughs> That's amazing. And then, yeah, I love that bit of your background. I'm sure you were seeing all different types of materials, right? As you're working on all this stuff. So why do materials in design matter? Yeah. Well, it's, um, yes, we see all different kinds of materials. Absolutely. There's, there's an enormous uh, variety and volume of materials um, on the platform, just to give you like an idea and scope of what that is like on the platform right now, um, we have, you know, 150,000 different types of materials. Wow. And, you know, 25 million data points on those 150,000 materials. So um, all of those data points are things like the content, where it comes from, what it can, what can be done with it at the end of its life cycle. And those decisions and, and those materials matter. They matter enormously. It's, you know, 5% of US GDP. So that's, you know, just half a trillion dollars um, that goes into just commercial construction, taking out residential, all of that. Um, every year, construction adds 170 million tons of waste to our landfills, um, you know, and buildings impact, you know, nearly 40% of global carbon emissions. So these are these are big decisions and and they should be made with the best data available, right? So that you understand and you can see the impact of those decisions. Yeah, it certainly sounds like a way to move the needle in terms of yeah. you know climate change because it's like you said it's so huge. Yeah, absolutely. I often think about materials like so my background is in industrial design and product design. Oh, yeah. So the materials are slightly different, but I was it's like the analogy of like a painter, like right? Or maybe maybe my wife is a ceramic artist. Yeah. She knows her material. Like she uses porcelain, she has glazes, she's almost like a chemist. Yeah. And I was often wonder like how much designers like really know about their material, like right? Yeah. Like it's a funny question to ask, like, why do materials matter in design? It's because our designs are made of materials. Yeah. And how much of what you do is about educating designers so they sort of know what they're using. Absolutely. And I think one of the specific ways that that comes in is like, what are the ways that I can use this material? I think, you know, designers are such artisans and they're so creative and they're really trying to find like unique ways to create a positive impact in the built environment, right? So they want to have a space that is, um, 
you know, inspiring. And one way that you can do that is by using materials in different and unique ways, right? And so absolutely, I think a lot of the questions that we get when, you know, people are talking to us about our, the materials are leaning on us to sort of point them in the direction of an expert or be the expert for them um, is, you know, can I do this with this material and have it be successful um, and, and wear well? And, you know, absolutely. I think there's, there's such a, a yearning for the knowledge and the information because it is like a puzzle or, you know, like a science uh, right. aspect to it. Yeah. There's a lot of factors, right? There's the, yeah. like you're saying, the durability and is it going to perform? And then, gosh, sometimes it feels like you have to be a sustainability expert <laughs> to be like, it's going to be durable, it's going to perform. And, you know, it sequesters carbon. So it's just a lot to, <laughs> yeah, a and, lot of and everything, right? From the category itself, like, you know, what is, what's better, like this type of material or this type of material. And then from there, you know, in that specific category, what are those options and what are the differences? So yeah, it's a lot, there's a lot for everyone to ingest. Yeah. Shifting gears a little bit from sustainability to wellness. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how, in the context of materials, how, space affects wellness and if that's something that we should be prioritizing in our workplaces. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think there's, uh, you know, materials definitely impact wellness, even like the very tangible things like the the um, VOCs or the gases that that material emits, right? Um, also, the, the color, the form of them, things like that. If you think of like biophilic design and, and that type of um, effect that a material might have, um, but there's another impact of wellness that we track on the site, and that is um, the wellness of the people making the materials. Oh, wow. That's right. Great. So if you think of the whole supply chain of wellness, like what is the wellness of that material from, you know, the, the people making the material um, to to people, you know, installing the material and then finally to the end user who who is around that material. Um, that there's sort of those different layers of wellness impact. Let's dive into source. Um, you mentioned a little bit of how many materials are on there, which is incredible. What's someone going to see when they're on the platform? Like help paint a picture. I love having to describe things in the audio format. I love it. <laughs> uh, and then maybe you could share sort of like for people listening, like how have you seen people best utilize it as a tool for design? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what you see when you log in is your dashboard. Uh, so you're going to see, you know, do you want to work on your projects? Do you want to look at materials? Do you want to connect with your rep, your local reps or your experts? And a couple other things, but it's essentially like you log in and you are you have a task that you're trying to accomplish. So maybe you're trying to reach out to a few tile reps to find a tile for a project. So we have a piece of the platform called Rep Connect. And so on Rep Connect, you can, you know, go to the tile category, select all or just your favorite reps that you know get back to you really quickly, you know, submit your inquiry, and then that goes off to all of them. So there's there's tools in there that help streamline sort of some of these administrative processes. Um, and that's really what we try to do is, is leverage technology and data, you know, whether it's your rep data, the product data to streamline your work so that you can spend your time, you know, digging into the design and creating better spaces. So that's that piece. And then you can order material samples on the platform. Um, you can dig into the material data. You can download imagery, spec sheets, all of that. 
I'm curious if you can give an example of a time when maybe a workplace design or material choice helped you either feel more productive, feel happier at work. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know if it's specifically a material choice, um, but it's like a material and a furniture choice. Um, here in the, in the source offices, we all have fully desks and they're sit stand desks. And then we um, were lucky enough to have this local wood manufacturer, the joinery, um, you know, donate all the tops for those. And oh, it is, awesome. yeah, it's such a wonderful experience to have just, you know, I don't know, I could probably show you my desk, but it's pretty messy. So I'll spare everyone. <laughs> Luckily, um, no one can see anything in the episode. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but yeah, you know, having that sit stand desk is amazing. As we all know, you know, sitting can be very dangerous to your health. Um, so having that and then also just knowing that the material that's on top of it, that wood top um, was sustainably made and it has like waxes in it and, you know, things that are good for my health. And it just like it just my office just smells good. You know, like there's such a strange thing to say, but it it's matters. like all of your senses experience the built environment, right? So, mm -hmm. um, that, that yeah, was do you want to smell that or do you want to smell some toxic VSEs yeah, from like a, you know, laminate, you know, that isn't done well? And yeah, yeah, that's awesome. exactly. Hmm. Yeah, really cool. I love the joinery and I love fully. So, two great <laughs> things for our audience to check out. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your journey and your perspective. I love it. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, listeners, you can learn more about Nicole's work at tothesource.com. And stay with us, Nicole, and everyone, as we'll bring Carissa into our conversation after a quick break. If you like this podcast, then you will love Design Museum Everywhere. It's the museum that comes to you wherever you are. That's right. Design Museum Everywhere is all about making design education and inspiration accessible to everyone. Become a member today and join a global community of design thought leaders and change makers. Everyone can be a designer. We can all appreciate and advocate for the transformational impact that design can have. Membership starts at just $3 a month and you get access to virtual Design Museum live events, discounts, and our Design Museum magazine sent right to your doorstep. Just go to designmuseumeverywhere.org to join today, and your name will be listed in our next issue of Design Museum magazine, which will be sent to Design Museum members all over the world. That's designmuseumeverywhere.org to be part of this global community. We're back. Nicole and I are joined by our special guest, Carissa Milan from Sarah Architects. Carissa is a lead interior designer in Sarah's workplace studio. She combines hospitality and residential influence to her workplace design approach. Carissa has worked on a range of workplace designs from nonprofit organizations to big tech companies. She studied interior design at Oregon State University and is now a creative team leader. Carissa's designs enhance the human experience through space. Carissa, welcome to the show. Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. Thank you. To start off, I'm curious, what makes workplace interior design different from other interior design work that you may have done? Yeah. So I've been doing this for about 15 years now, and um, my firm works in a variety of market sectors, and I've worked in all of them over the last 15 years. And the thing about workplace for me that I'm passionate about is people can choose where they live. People can, you know, choose where they want to stay in a hotel. They can choose their restaurant. Like most of us don't get that much of a choice over our work experience. So we choose a company and that experience that happens for people 
that's provided for you. It's not something that you have a lot of control over. And so I think like I'm passionate. We spend more time at work probably than anywhere else. And so it's really valuable to me to be able to have an opportunity to create that experience for people where they, they have to go every day. How can good workplace design help improve sort of two different maybe vectors, you know, productivity, but also the wellness of each employee? I feel like productivity and wellness are really interlinked. If you think about when you're sick, you're not doing your best work. If you have right. a cold, you're not very focused. If you're unhappy or there's something that's really stressing you out or some sort of like emotional factor that's happening for you, it's also really hard to be productive. I don't know if anyone else has had um, any trouble focusing over the last year because of all the other <laughs> stuff going on, but yes. I, I certainly have. And so like part of wellness is creating spaces that help people be healthy and help people be happy. And when you can take away some of those outside factors, it really allows people to be the most productive, to solve problems, to be the most creative and to do their best work. Yeah. And so I keep hearing more and more about like going into the cave. Now our listeners can't see me, but I'm literally in a cave. <laughs> but I think when people say like going into the cave, it means more like being able to focus and, you know, not be distracted. Have you seen some of that trending in terms of like spaces that might allow for more social, but then like might allow you to be more in the cave? Yeah, I guess I feel like for, like for me, being in the cave means being able to get into flow mode where I don't, right. I'm not even thinking about my phone or I'm not thinking about New York times. Like I'm just really immersed in what's happening and like time just goes by and I could just like thinking and getting creative. And, um, I, I think that the environment that creates that for different people, the best is it's totally different. So like right. for me being totally alone has been really challenging. I operate mm -hmm. best in like a coffee shop environment where there's like some buzz happening around me where I can't yeah, really yeah. distinguish anybody's voice like for other people. So like some of my clients, it's total silence. And so I think like within workplace environments, providing people choices to choose the environment, not just from an acoustic perspective, like a temperature perspective, a posture perspective, where do you do your best work? Like we're, we don't all come in one flavor and it's really important to acknowledge that, that we all need something that's a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely feel that way. Um, you know, one of the things that Sam and I were talking about was the impact of, you know, the material choices in those spaces, right? Yeah. And like, how does that impact? And I feel like at Source, we we often see a lot of what architects and designers are wanting and what those what decisions they're, you know, hoping for on their projects, but we don't really have a lot of visibility into like that end user or the ownership groups. Um, you know, from your experience with your clients, what types of things are getting approved as far as, you know, sustainability choices, you know, if it's impacting budget, et cetera, um, and, and what things are getting backburnered? Like, what do you see changing with your clients? Yeah. I mean, people are very connected to environmental what's happening in their environments, especially right now, where we're very concerned about those things. Um, over the last couple of years, my clients have been, have become much more aware of indoor environmental quality, specifically indoor air quality and the things that impact indoor air quality all the way from like, you're talking about off gassing to the amount of CO2 in a big room when people are trying to make decisions <laughs> and have a clear <laughs> head. Um, and I, there's been a big push for transparency within materials is like on just knowing what's in there. Like, what is the impact of this? Just what's in there, just be transparent about what's in your material. Um, and from having that kind of driving force from a 
an end user perspective, that's what we talk to our reps about all the time. Like what is in this material? And if you're not willing to disclose that, there's probably a reason why. And so when we think about specifying um, healthy materials, we look at what are the largest quantity or the biggest emitters of products and try to start there. Hmm. Maybe we can talk about how you have used something like source materials libraries, like when does it come into your design process? Um, pretty early, <laughs> uh, really, er I would say like early phases of design are more about concept and schematics and really getting the floor plan, right. Ensuring that people can move through the space correctly. And we start thinking about textures and color and adding in those layers that help us in performance, like really materials and finishes for me starts at performance. Like what are the things that we need to include in this to make the space work? And everything beyond that is about creating experience. So performance and experience being linked um, is, that's really where materials come in for me. Yeah. And I know you guys have done a lot of work like at your firm, um, putting in internal standards for that yeah. and trying yeah. to create like a good, better, best option for your clients and things. Um, can I, I'm really curious um, for my own knowledge, just sort of how that initiative came about and how you guys have tackled it. I think sometimes things like that are really hard to um, accomplish firm-wide. Um, and I just feel like you guys have been very successful at that effort. So I would love to Glean your expertise. Oh, you, you really pulled on a long thread. The whole sweater is going to fall off here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, let, let's see. So Sarah Architects, we're not just architecture and interiors. We're also urban planning. And our, our firm is really founded in um, understanding equity as a whole within communities. And how are we going to build district systems? And how are we going to take care of people at the very foundation? And so that kind of the firm grew over the last 50 years into, I mean, everybody that works at Sarah has some passion in sustainability to some degrees. So like we have this sort of like shared philosophy about responsibility to the environment, responsibility to people. And so I would honestly say it comes from a lot of internal initiatives inside the firm and just having a collected a collective and shared responsibility to do the right thing. And so early on, we committed to not specifying certain materials like PVC wherever possible. We won't even entertain those things. Like the baseline for us is already, the bar is already really high. And so now we're working on even more initiatives um, around, let's see, we just started using a, a product called Matter, uh, which helps us internally figure out and vet products. It pulls together all kinds of product data and helps us vet um, where things are on a sliding scale of sustainability in terms of measuring those things. And then we have a panel of experts that works internal to the firm that can help us decide kind of what our baseline is going to be for our specification. And then if we can afford it or it's, you know, it's possible where we can bump those things up further on the list. Yeah. I wonder a question for both of you, if you could share, I'd love to get specific about like some of your favorite materials that, you know, both touch on the sustainability piece, but also, um, on the wellness side as well. I love wood. It's, we live in the Pacific Northwest. It's like part of our aesthetic here too. And mm -hmm. if the wood is sustainably harvested, you can use it forever. It's refinishable. It adds to your biophilic connection to your space. And just like the fact that it can, it can literally last for a really long time and it's a carbon sequester. So there's, very little wrong with using wood unless it's not being harvested correctly or it's not being the chain of custody isn't being maintained. Um, 
recently I've also, I love that wool is making a resurgence in the United States. It's a naturally uh, renewable resource. It's naturally flame retardant. It's beautiful. Um, It's been really popular in Europe for a long time, but it's taken Americans a while to like get comfortable with it. Yeah. Mine's wool. I think it's a fascinating material in that like there's so many different applications that it can go into. I remember, you know, early on in college, like learning about wool and why it's so durable and, you know, the, just the, the really like molecular structure of it. Um, and it, it's again, you know, sort of touching on the going back to work, there's acoustic properties of it. There's, it has so many layers of properties. Um, you know, the acoustic one, probably for me, I feel like I, I'm the person that everyone's like, oh, I know Nicole's here. I heard her laughing down the hallway. So that's my favorite, but very, very selfish reasons around it. <laughs> I love it. Back to you, Carissa. I'm, I'm curious. So many of us now working from home, growing numbers. I'm not sure it's going to go away. It's going to be this hybrid. Does that change the landscape of workplace design for you? Like, are you considering in your, your designs that people are going to be at home and in the office? So I think a lot of that's going to come, it's going to, it'll be driven from clients. So whatever our clients decide is going to be their, their model of work and how they're going to allow their employees to work. I think like at the beginning, everyone was like, oh my God, I love working from home. This is the greatest. <laughs> and now that it's been all this time, people are like, oh man, I really miss being around people. So I think we've swung the pendulum all the way around, which is good yeah. because it allows <laughs> us to like really figure out what's going to be best for us. Uh, one of the projects that I completed most recently was a different model of working. It was uh, half of the, we designed half of the plate to be floor plate to be assigned space and the other half to be completely flexible. This user group found themselves like actually sitting at their desk for only an hour a day. Oh, wow. And so we designed, it's almost like an open coffee shop floor plan where you have, there's different types of seating, different postures, um, soft seating places for people to meet. And it's meant to be acoustically a little bit buzzier in that type mm-hmm. of space. Um, and they only got to live there for like one month before everybody went home for the pandemic, which is a bummer. But I'm hopeful that that is something that a model that can be adopted is to think about our our real estate footprint a little bit smaller and think about having more shared space. And along with that, of course, comes sanitization of space or making space clean enough for people to share it. Can you kind of give us some examples of like material choices that like supported those two types of working? Yeah. So this particular user group, um, they're a creative design team, and they really wanted their space to be a backdrop for the work that they're producing. And so from a, from a sustainability perspective, it was a very easy client to work with because they really did not want to add a lot. They wanted it to be extremely simple. They wanted everything to be kind of background. And so we used, on the more focused side, we used a lot of like very like whitewashed woods, very simple, very focused, very concentrated. And in the more social, we call it like the more social zone of the building, more, a little bit more color, more texture, things that allow for people to be more like more home-like, I would say more residential. It's a, definitely a more residential side of the building. Hmm. Interesting. So I think one of the things that we hear a lot um, on the West Coast, you know, and certainly um, other parts of the nation as well. There's, you know, a lot of talk and like, you know, I know what an endocrine disruptor is and, you know, we, we know a lot of these things, but, you know, for somebody that's just starting to think about materials and health and wellness, um, do you have sort of, you know, what, what are some of the most impactful categories that you would say, you know, a designer could think about as they're specifying materials? 
there are a couple of resources that I would definitely recommend for this too. Um, there is so much information that goes into specifying materials that you have to know just enough, just enough to like navigate this, this field. Um, and so like we rely a lot on the living futures website and talking about red list compliancy. Uh, these are things like, uh, PFOAs, PVC, um, other things that are on the red list, heavy metals, chlorobenzenes, chemicals that are the most that we know, like we know for a fact are toxic for human health. It's like everyone, everyone found out about BPA and we all want BPA free bottles. Now there's like 30 other things that we know are really, really bad for people. And just starting at that as a baseline, checking product labels, asking what's in there. And if you can find it on that red list, don't specify it as a baseline. Awesome. Thank you. I'll also add to that, Nicole, an easy way to figure out which materials like off the bat don't have some of those things or looking for a, an environmental product declaration or a health product declaration. Those are certifications from an independent organization that verifies that materials don't have certain chemicals or certain toxins in them already. Let's move into audience questions. Let's put this to both of you from Deborah. We touched on healthy materials and the reasons behind it. Do you see clients asking for healthy materials or are designers pushing for healthy materials and then educating clients to help them make better decisions? My clients absolutely are asking for them. <laughs> they, they realize the effects, of course, because their employees are there all the time. They realize and they see the physical effects of people's environments and human health. And so our clients are definitely asking uh, for for that approach from baseline. And I'd say like people come to Sarah specifically for that because they know that, that it's a, a foundational part of how we approach design and how we approach uh, human health. And so it's not just us internally. We partner with people who are, you know, who are looking for the same kinds of things. Yeah. And I would say at Source, a lot of our clients, um, we see both for sure. We, you know, if the client is savvy and you know understands the impacts they will certainly be the ones asking for it um, and we also see designers and architects come to us like hey we would we would like to educate our clients about this um, you know do you have tools or you know educational materials that we can sort of have in our toolkit to help educate our customers and I think what we've seen um, is very much clients being more willing to to talk about it and have that conversation for sure if they aren't asking yeah. for it they're much more willing to talk about it so yeah i want to channel uh, linda here from the chat um saying that you know maybe west coast clients are more attuned do you have a sense like regionally around the u.s like are folks really keying into this i, or I is think it... linda's comment is pretty accurate that yeah. the east and south are you know not so much um, we hear that from our manufacturers a lot um, but i think one of the things that we can do as an industry you know um, is educate our clients and and it's a lot to ask though right you know having resources um, like source or other amazing platforms um, out there as well to to have like one place where you can sort of get all of that information and get those tools to educate your clients uh, and and I think anytime you can frame something as you know it's better for them at the end of the day the project needs to like pencil on their PL, right so anytime you can tie things back to that i think is a really powerful way to talk to clients about it yeah that's awesome cool thank you thank and thank you deborah for that question so charlotte's question do you feel that large-scale design shows like neocon for example will change their format in the future if so how will we get to see and touch and experience new designs materials etc 
Yeah. I mean, we've seen that with our manufacturers that they are participating in the design community in new ways this year and really finding new ways to launch products. Um, we certainly have helped them with that. We, you know, whatever ways that we can get client, you know, materials in front of clients that we feel like would be appropriate. Um, you know, we, I absolutely think it'll change in format. Um, Autodesk did something really interesting this year with their Autodesk University. They just, you know, did it all remote and it was the most like incredible, well-attended event. I think they had close to like, two, I want to say it was 150,000 people attend wow. Wow, from all, all over the globe. Um, and so I definitely see, I'm, I'm sure all of us are ready to get back to seeing people in person. Um, and I, I don't know what everyone's situation is, but I remember, you know, back in the day when I worked at a firm, there was, you know, a small sliver of people that could attend shows like Neocon or HD or anything like that. Right. And so I definitely see that the shows that will be successful moving into our new future are ones that really combine like the digital and physical experience and create like a digital show. Yeah. My favorite new word. Fidgetal. Fidgetal. Yes. <laughs> we use it all the time. Source is a fidgetal company. <laughs> I thought you were, I thought you were talking about me because I can't sit still. Yeah, yeah. fidgeting. Fidgeting. <laughs> I'm curious though from both of your perspectives, because you know, everyone's like, oh, you can do design and architecture from anywhere. But like materials libraries, right? Like you actually I, I feel like you need to see and touch and so are are material libraries growing? On site, Carissa, is your material library getting bigger? As like you do you not to... want to see my office. <laughs> <laughs> right when we went home for quarantine in March, I was in the middle of design development on a huge project, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like the reality of having all that in my house just like hit me, and I had to end up. I had to. My roommate moved out. I had to take over the third room in our house because I'm like, I just need more space. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah we actually. Um as all of this happened. So part of here in Portland is the only place where we have this, the platforms everywhere, but here in Portland, we have like a shared central library, physical library that, you know, designers and architects come to. Um, and we've since switched to like same day delivery. And I mean, it definitely is where we see designers and architects like, Hey, can I get all these things? Okay. Can you come pick them up? Okay. Can I get these two things from the book? Can you come pick it up? And so I think that, that, um, that flexibility in the materials library could end up being important, but I, I mm -hmm. don't think there's any way that we, that we get away from having access to physical materials. Right. So. Yeah. Need to experience them, feel them, yeah. touch them. Yeah. Smell them. And yeah, smell them. <laughs> I love it when a contractor wants me to color match something from a website. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, okay. There it is. It's right there. It's the color. It's, you obvious. <laughs> it's blue. So you could just yeah. get a blue one. Amazing. I love it. So question from Charlotte, do you think linoleum, linoleum flooring will make a comeback? What other vintage materials in quotes should be, should we bring back if any? Yeah, I, we see a lot of like linoleum being specified. Absolutely. So that's a direct answer, but other materials. <laughs> um, so for our listeners, it, linoleum, good, bad, not, we don't know. Where does it sit on the uh, wellness and sustainability? So I think as long as we're using the word correctly, and to some people, linoleum means like sheet vinyl. Um, so sheet vinyl, not not as good. PVC is a really terrible material, releases Agent Orange into the atmosphere, like all kinds of terrible things. This is terrible. Um, 
so PVC, if people think of linoleum as that, but if people think of linoleum as the, you know, the material made from flax seeds, like that you would have had in a 1950s home, like that linoleum is a really sustainable, resilient flooring. Um, you know, again, we can get into the, the conversations about the types of materials and categories and things that they are. But as far as resilient flooring, you know, linoleum is going to, um, you know, again, in the if you think about the full supply chain, linoleum is much better for the people making it by leaps and bounds than a vinyl Um, it also you know when you are installing it um, you know then you're not around those vocs and again for the end users but then also um, the maintenance of it right so like what what is having to go on to that material to maintain it if you think about it versus a vct um, the maintenance of a VCT is pretty toxic versus a uh, linoleum, which is, um, you know, maintenance of linoleum is a whole thing. So we won't go down that rabbit hole, but. <laughs> this is why Source exists. I mean, this the complexity of digging in. Thank you both. Thank you, Carissa, for giving us a window into to your work. Thank you, audience, for your questions. To check out Carissa's work, check out sarahdesign.com. That's S-E-R-A design.com. We're going to take another quick break and we'll return for our weekly dose of good design. Now it's time for our weekly dose of good design, where we each share an example of good design that has impacted us or others in some meaningful way. I'll go first. My weekly dose is robotic furniture. So there's this really interesting, innovative company called Ori that is making furniture that moves, transforms, hides and basically helps create more space in our living space. Something I think we all need right now, again, reminding you that I am in my closet. (laughs) So we're spending a lot of time at home. Uh, I love how they characterize their products on their site. So I'm just gonna read it right from their site. We are choreographing motion into the home and making more space for everyone. With Ori, walls move, beds float, and rooms slide in and out of the scene responding to the rhythm and flow of modern life. So let me help visualize some of these pieces because they're really cool. There's the cloud bed. It starts as a couch with some sort of like cool, like wood ceiling piece above it. And when it's time to sleep, the bed just like magically lowers down and it just looks like it's defying physics. I don't know how they're like cantilevering (laughs) this bed, but it just like magically comes down. And then my personal favorite, probably because I wish I could get one, is called the pocket office. And so if you can describe, like this office basically starts as like an entertainment center with like your TV and and whatnot on shelves. And then when you want to use your office, it kind of like splits in half and the front part like moves out. And then inside is this pocket office and it's like a whole office setup with like a desk and shelves and lighting. Um, I think that the assumption is you're not like working <laughs> while you're watching Netflix. And so you can utilize that space. Uh, you can do, kind of do double duty. Uh, there's a handful of other really smart pieces in their collection. Oh, and everything is controlled either by voice commands, gestures, or you can even go old school and press a button if you want. So, I mean, this furniture is like the future. And um, I hope someday I can have something because I need more space. So that's mine. All right, Nicole, what about you? So mine is very specific to like my work at home life right now. So I have a six-year-old son, a four-year-old daughter, a hundred pound chocolate lab and a four pound 
um, baby Boston Terrier or not yet yeah, Boston Terrier, like forgetting what kind of dog I have. Um, so we, um, the dogs, we just got this puppy and the dogs like love to play together. And it's this really crazy mismatch, right? Of like this hundred pound, like crazy big <laughs> dog and our four pound little puppy. And so she'll like jump up and try to grab toys out of his mouth. She's our fearless wow. little puppy. And so it was like, they'll do it all day long. And I'm like trying to be on Zoom calls and all of these. And so we went to the pet store and we seriously, we were looking for the perfect toy that was like just designed explicitly for this situation. <laughs> and I think what's really interesting about design is when you find something or when you encounter something that is like explicitly solves a very painful, very specific need that you have, like I'm going to buy 40 of these toys, right? <laughs> so it's a, it's a double-ended rope chew toy. And it's like just small enough to fit in her mouth and just sturdy enough <laughs> that our big dog Jackson can't destroy it. And just long enough that they like, they can pull on it together. Sounds and so amazing. it's like when they, when I'm getting on a Zoom call or something's going crazy in the house and they start yapping at each other I just give them this toy and there's like silence and they just like pull <laughs> and so you know I just like the smallest things that are very they well designed they matter they can make a difference in your sanity so yes oh that's yeah. a great one I love it awesome all right Carissa bring us home okay I'm gonna break the rules a little bit because that's kind of my style um yeah. I actually have two so uh um, it's all good when I when, you, when we first talked about this last week I was thinking about um like what inspires me or like what's sort of spurred by creativity. And I have what I, I like to call this like what the Alice in Wonderland in me where I just, I hear something and then I want to know more and then I want to know more and I get curious or curious and I go down this loop. Um, I'm sure a lot of people on this call can identify with uh, watching a lot of TV during quarantine. Oh yes. <laughs> and I used to watch a lot of TV to tune out. Not, I didn't watch a lot of TV. When I watched TV, I watched it to tune out. Well, mm -hmm. now I'm trying to use that time as an opportunity to tune in and to learn something. Mm. So I've been watching a lot of comedy. Um, I'm watching a lot of um, documentaries. And I recently discovered this show on Netflix called Explained. The episodes are like 20 minutes long, but they they start at one end and they like you end up somewhere else like mind blown. Yeah, mind blowing. I, I love that show. And it's like it's great because it's it's inspired some of my work. It's fueled uh, my conversations with people in the absence of things happening in your life, like having something interesting to talk about with people is really great. Um, my second example is a little less interesting. Uh, again, spending a lot of time alone. Uh, I've been trying Absolutely. to do little, little things for myself to make myself feel good. So I'm getting like really good at painting my nails. <laughs> um, and yesterday I bought a nail polish and I came home and I took the stick out and I looked at it and I was like, Oh man, the, the, the bristles, like the brush is, was stuck to the stem crooked. I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. And then I started painting and realized, oh, it was designed that way. Somebody uh, realized like, you don't write like this, write right. like this. And yeah. so the bristles were glued onto the stick intentionally to make it more ergonomic. And I was just like, oh my God, I've never experienced this before. But like somebody thought to themselves, if we make this very simple adjustment, we can make this whole process like easier and more beautiful so i, I just it. like i had this moment of something so simple the smallest <laughs> things yeah that's our show thank you again to nicole and carissa for joining us and for their awesome conversation 
And to our live podcast audience, thank you. Thank you for your questions. A lot of fun. We'll post links to the resources we discussed on our episode page. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. As always, you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at design museum everywhere. Plus, we're on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. This episode was written, produced, and edited by the amazing Amor Yates with production assistance from Ryan Flom. Thank you, Ryan. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For the whole team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thank you for listening, and we'll talk again next week.